everybody, it's Pastor Todd. Welcome to Shatterproof. We've got an incredible show for you today. Send this podcast to somebody. Share this podcast on your social media. Let everybody know that you're listening and you're a part of of this incredible conversation that we have here on Shatterproof. If you want to donate and give to Shatterproof, you can go to ignitechurchvt.com. You can download our app in your app store and search for Ignite Church VT, and you can sow into this podcast and let us know how much this podcast is blessing you and encouraging you. Share this podcast. I'll be back with you in just a minute. We're going to have an amazing show. So this week I got some emails from uh, an individual who has been attending some of the uh, political events that we've been hosting and holding at our church here in Williston, Vermont. And as one of the only churches that were even having the political discussion about what was taking place throughout the uh, throughout the nation, throughout the, the, the region, and specifically our state of Vermont, it's interesting that people can still attack you, people can still come after you, even though you're supposed to be on the same side, they choose to find certain things about your church, your ministry, uh, how you speak, what you say. Uh, what's what's you know going on within the fabric of of your church, and they don't even attend. They have nothing to do with your church, but they have an opinion. And it's amazing. Uh, I got this email the other day from an individual who was saying, um, uh, who who was in an email thread, and he he said, uh, you know, can't we find a different church that's uh, far more pleasant than the glaring lights of Ignite Church? Uh, and then in a separate uh, uh, email further down, he said, um, again, the ambiance of another church far exceeds the gaudy glare of Ignite Church. God forbid we have lights. God forbid we have a modern staging. And this is what is amazing to me. You know, when we moved here uh, at the end of 2016 from Orlando, Florida, there's quite a, a difference in culture. There's quite a difference in uh, the geographical uh, separation between the north and the south, uh, as small as that may be, uh, mile-wise, it's it's drastically different uh, generationally, culturally. And as we begin to see a lot of this stuff begin to play out when we got here, we begin to realize that there is a, a massive spirit of religion that seems to permeate and plague this region. And, and, and uh, when we got here, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about what the facility looked like. When we got here, uh, now remember, this is the church that I grew up at as a child. I watched this building, uh, this facility be built in, in 1987. And um, I remember watching the foundation laid. I remember watching the trees go down and the foundation laid. Uh, the, 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 the structure begin to uh, be put up and, and watch the roof go on, watch the carpet go in, watch the drywall go up, watch the painting happen. I remember all of that stuff as a child. And so coming back at, uh, to, to this, this area at the end of 2016, when I walked in the building, I was just shocked. I was shocked at the cracks in the drywall that were remained that had remained unrepaired. I was shocked at the color of the of, of the the facility. In other words, it it was the color was the color scheme was outdated. It literally looked like 1982. 
right when, you know, well, the building was built in 87, but it looked like the mid 80s color wise. I mean, there were burgundies and yellows and greens. And if you were born um, uh, in the 70s and you grew up in the 80s, you know, the color scheme that I'm talking about, the mauves and the, and the, the, the yellows and the pinks and the rose colors. And it was all over the building and the, the brown carpet, you know, that looked like it was from 1976. And, and um, it was just amazing to me just uh, uh, visually to see how, how dated the facility was. So when we became senior pastors and we took that mantle a year later, um, we began to make some of these structural changes. Uh, and we, the first, one of the first things we did was we started to paint and we began painting neutral colors that were um, um, relevant uh, just, just four years ago. Neutral colors that you can you can add splashes of colors here and splashes of color there and it and it and it all fit and work together. Let me tell you something: the paint on the wall can divide people like you would not believe. If you've never been a part of a ministry to where you've had to sit and make decisions about paint colors, let me educate you and let you know that paint will drive people out of a church. And it was amazing to me. There was an older couple that said, you know, pastor, we need to talk to you. And we went to the conference room and we sat down and, and, and the gentleman began to cry. And I said, to him, you know, what, what, what's going on? What, what's bothering you? He said, I cannot believe that you're destroying the legacy of this church. And I said, what do you mean I'm destroying the legacy of the church? I, I grew up here. My parents built this building. My, my, my family, my parents invested 27 years into this ministry. My family's been here and, and, and I, I've been back from time to time. And, and I love this area. I love this region. I love this ministry. Why do you think I'm trying to destroy the legacy and the history of this church? He said, I cannot believe you've covered up these colors and you've painted the walls. And I looked at him and I said, surely you cannot be referencing the legacy of a ministry based on the color of the walls. And he looked at me and he said, not only am I upset about the fact that you've, you've covered up the walls and you've painted the walls, but you changed the carpet. You didn't give us a chance or the ability to vote on the kind of carpet we were going to have. And, and I had to remind him, we're not a voting church. That's the Baptist church down the street. You're thinking of, (laughs) we don't vote in our church. And I had to look at him and say, sir, those are decisions that I made as the senior pastor of this church. And, and I'm sorry that if you think seeing half inch gaps between the seams of the carpet, and you can see the concrete beneath the carpet, the green carpet, mind you, the teal carpet with, with the, the darker teal areas where the aisles would be, would be put. So you've got green carpet, then you've got darker green where the aisles were. And in between those, you've got gaps where you can see the cement and the concrete and the glue to the carpet below that. But let's leave that. Let's leave that. And, 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 and just, just forget about the fact that we need new carpet. We need a new design. So that made people leave. People were upset that I, that I put in modern carpet. People were furious I'm talking the generation of 70s and 80s something. We're absolutely furious that I redid the staging. That I got rid of the steps all around the stage and I closed off the front of the stage and put steps on the side to where you could get onto the stage to where children couldn't run up there and get all over the stage and get into the cabling and the, the, the instruments and, and, and uh, you know, climb around and do all that stuff. You know, you close that off, you make a modern stage design and people freak out and they leave. 
They turn around and say that I don't care about the, the future of the church. I don't care about the legacy of the ministry. You see, these are people who are operating out of a religious spirit. They're operating from a place that, that remains visual. They don't understand what it means to operate in faith and get a vision for a tomorrow that God's, that God's beginning to, to stir up in someone's spirit and, 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 and to leave a generational impact beyond my years. I'm not building what we're building here uh, in, in Williston, Vermont. We're not building it just for this generation right now. We're building this for a generation to come. So I responded to this gentleman who just seemed to go on a, on a lovely attack um, of our lighting, uh, like we really care about his outside opinion. Um, but he, he began to, to, to degrade myself and degrade others who were on that email chain that were saying, you know, thank you to Pastor Todd and Ignite Church for all that you've done um, over the past couple of years, making sure that freedom is, is remaining intact and fighting against the tyranny and fighting against uh, the government overreach and bringing in voices from around the nation to make sure that we stand together unified uh, in freedom. Forget that. We hate your lights. We can't come back to a, another event you host because you have lights. And that ambiance is not fitting for that kind, of, that kind of environment. So I responded to him, and I told him that if, if he believes that ambiance and the lighting determines a move of God, then he has absolutely no idea how the Holy Spirit works. And I reminded him that the judgmental religious spirit and attitude that he carries is the very reason the millennial generation ran out the back door of churches. That judgmental attitude that he carries is the very reason millennials said we want nothing to do with church. And I reminded him of that. And he responded with, with, uh, with, with saying to me, maybe you should get some mirrors and look at yourself. <laughs> I mean, these guys don't even see it. They don't even understand what they've done. Thank God that the Gen Zers, the, this, this, this current generation right now, understand that generation was judgmental, that that generation was, was so overbearing in the, in the, within their religious spirit. They don't even care. They don't even look at it anymore. But the millennials, it hit them right at the core of the heart, and they ran out the back door. So when you look at how, how all of this plays out, it all goes back to a lack of faith in believing that what changes God implements through different voices. Could you imagine this, this, this generation that I'm talking of right now that have been so religious and so overbearing? Could you imagine what they would have said to Joshua? See, they would have been just fine with Moses continuing to circle the wilderness and continue to, to, to be out in the desert. We don't need to change anything. We've been doing this for 40 years. Why do we need to change anything? Let's leave it the way it is. They would have rejected a Joshua. It's amazing how certain generations will look at the youth of another generation and discount it because, in their opinion, they're not old enough to have a voice yet. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing. And I believe that there's that generation should really take a look at how they are nurturing, nurturing and, and establishing credibility in the eyes of the Gen Z, uh, of the Gen Zers, because 
I, I understand you, you know, you're 70, 80 years old and you've been around a long time and, and you have an, you know, an idea that, you know, everything and, 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 uh, you know, you can, you can speak into anything and you can vote on anything and we've got to listen because you've been around the longest, but, but that generation needs to also understand that there are ideas that come into the picture. There are godly ideas that he gives to a current culture and a current generation that are not going to be understood by an older generation. And that doesn't mean that, that there, there's a legacy that's being destroyed. That doesn't mean that there is a discounting of, of the wisdom and the knowledge of an older generation, but it also means that that older generation must receive and understand and see through a different set of eyes what God is bringing in through a Joshua generation, through a brand new generation who says, you know what, we've circled this mountain long enough. We've got to change course. We've got to go in a different, a different direction. But, but, but see, that is the faith of this current generation. And your faith will cost you every single time. Your faith will cost you everything, every single time. You know, it's been a heck of a week for me this week, specifically with various things and a lot of stuff that that's been going on. But, uh, you know, can you trust God enough when you can't wrap your head around what's happening? See, faith isn't about your comfort. It's about your willingness to be uncomfortable and trust God in the middle of it. Can you trust him in the middle of a transition? Can you trust him in the middle of your stress? Do you have enough faith to survive the storm? I know there's a ton of people right now who are facing losing their jobs, such as my wife is, in the next two weeks. Do you trust God enough to not fight him when you're fighting everything around you? When you feel like you're in a constant battle, when you feel like you're constantly uh, going after certain things that seem to be roadblocks and walls in your life, let me, let me suggest to you that faith will always release your anointing at a level you've never known before when your faith is tried. Like everything God created, the anointing is intentional and does not simply occur by chance or coincidence. It's the manifested presence of God that comes with a specific assignment to those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, and those who are in relentless pursuit of God. And, and people may not understand your calling. They may not understand your anointing. They may not understand the vision and the godly dreams that he's put in your heart. That's why somebody can look at the paint on a wall and they can sit there and condemn you for the paint on a, on a wall and, and leave your ministry and walk out the back church and talk about you, you know, walk out the back doors of the church and talk about you on the way out. And they get to a new church and they talk about you there. And I find it very interesting. Here, here's the wild thing. And if you're, if you're Baptist, I'm not talking against uh, you being a Baptist or whatever denomination you are. I just, I'm not a fan of denominations because I think it boxes up the, the pastor to what the denomination, denominational rules and regulations are. And it gives the pastor an inability to operate uh, uh, via the Holy Spirit at a, at a greater dimension because they're bound by doctrine and they're bound by man-made laws that oftentimes have nothing to do with the word of God itself. But it's amazing to me that many of these people that walked out the back doors when we took the mantle of this church uh, in at the end of 2017, they all went to Baptist churches. People that I've known my entire life walked out on me. People that I've known since I was five and six years old walked out the back door on me because they couldn't handle modern day changes to visually reach out and express the fact to a new generation that we care, love, and value who you are. This is a visual generation. Visual generation. Listen, if you want to look at stained glass windows, there's places for that. If you want to sit under man-made doctrine and man-made rules and regulations, listen, there's places for that. 
If you want to operate under the power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and believe for signs and wonders and miracles to take place, there are places for that. And when we operate in that gift in this house and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to move in a dimension, I know there's churches around, around us. I mean, they're done their entire service by the time we get out of worship. I mean, we will worship for an hour, hour, 10, hour, 15 minutes. We just let the Holy Spirit begin to move. And that's before the words even brought before I even preach. So I tell visitors, you know, when, when they, when they come, when, when guests, uh, you know, come to, to, to be with us, I, I'll mention it every now and then, you know, I'm like, listen, you know, you have the ability to sit down, to stand up. You can, you're free to go. You're free to come, whatever you need to do, but we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move in the way the Holy Spirit needs to move. And we're not going to box in the Holy Spirit uh, with a time clock. We're not going to put a, a 45 minute time clock on the Holy Spirit and say, okay, we got to do worship, preach, take an offering, minister, pray over. Well, a lot of people don't pray over people anymore. We don't have any ministry time uh, at the altar anymore. And, and, and maybe we'd see a greater move of God if pastors would actually step out in a, in a dimension of faith and begin to believe for greater things like that. So will you hold steadfast to your faith regardless of what issues people have with your faith? Listen, I look at some preachers and Christians, and I know they, they could not have possibly gotten their fire from the same place I did. They, they got their fire from a traditional altar, the altar of religion and tradition, or from the altar of their denominational headquarters who tell them what they can and can't do. But when you get a straight fire of faith from the throne of God, like the prophet Isaiah did, you'll cry out like he did for God to use you. And I see preachers and Christians all the time who have some fire, but they're not giving it out. It's a controlled burn. But a preacher with real fire of faith is one who has the word of God in him. And they themselves will set themselves on fire and people will show up and watch them burn because of the passion for the Holy Spirit and the passion for the mantle of heaven. Because when you get around fire, you catch fire too. And there, listen, there will always be people around you that don't have the faith that you do, but that's okay. They're in process. Let God deal with them. Some may even show up intentionally to throw wet blankets on your fire. But God will always set your service on fire anyway just because of you. God will set that atmosphere on fire because of your faith. Don't ever let the people around you dictate the amount of fire that's in you. God gave you that faith. God gave you that vision. God gave you that passion and that fire. And it's time to elevate and activate your faith to a brand new dimension. And I believe that as we're in this season of, 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 of turmoil right now, it's amazing that governors are pinning all kinds of, of, of man mandates uh, and using all kinds of situations to pin people against one another. And it's playing out in, 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 in local church context as well. You know, we've got all here in Vermont, we've got all the, 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 the municipalities now voting on all these mask mandates because we have a rhino governor who is too weak and, 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 and too lackluster in his speech to be able to communicate effectively that he disagrees with, with a, a mask mandate. So he says, I'm not going to do a statewide mask ma mandate again, like a mandate, like a mandate is some law anyway. Listen, if you've got mandates, uh, press against them. If, if you've got grocery stores and malls and public places that are saying, you know, it's a, it's a citywide mandate, you know, that you must wear a mask, walk in there without a mask, make them call the police on you, make them hold the law to what they're saying to you. There is no law. It's a mandate. They can't even enforce the thing. All they can do is tell you, you got to leave. They can arrest you for that. This isn't Australia. This isn't Austria. This isn't New Zealand. We got all these mandates that are being used to pin each other against, uh, pin, one, pin one another against each other. So we got our Vermont governor, Phil Scott, here, who's a complete total rhino. 
one of the weakest governors I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing how, you know, we left the great state of Florida uh, with, with Governor Ron DeSantis and we come to Vermont and, and you know, I, I didn't know anything about this guy. I just know there's a Republican governor in Vermont and, you know, you kind of, you know, squint, squint your face to that and, and raise your eyebrows to it because it just doesn't even, how, how's a Republican governor uh, working in Vermont when you've got Bernie Sanders that gets elected and Patrick Leahy that gets elected, thank God he's retiring. And you've got all these other people who, who claim to be a part of a conservative or the Republican Party, but they're not a conservative voice. So you've got Phil Scott. He says, I'm not going to make a, 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 a statewide mask mandate. I'm going to leave it up to the municipalities, the towns and cities. Y'all can vote on it with your city councils and you can decide if you're going to do a mask mandate or not. What a coward. So now you've got people like myself that are only shopping at those towns and cities that don't require mask mandates. Now we've got some restaurants in Burlington who are now mandating that you show proof of vaccination before you can now eat inside the restaurant. We're becoming Portland, Oregon. We're becoming Austria. We're becoming Australia. And now the virtue signaling is such where if you don't agree with that, then you're the one making everybody sick. But wait a minute. You got vaccinated. You're double vaccinated. You're triple vaccinated. You should be protected. You shouldn't have to worry about me, right? The vaccine is to protect you. The vaccine is supposed to be, uh, be able to, to reduce any symptoms that you may get. Yet the majority of people that are sitting in our hospitals here in Burlington, Vermont, they're all vaccinated and they're sick. They got COVID. Most of the people that I know that don't have COVID are not vaccinated. And if you're vaccinated, I'm not saying anything against you. You want to talk about science? Let's look at the science. The majority of people that are vaccinated right now are sick. They're the ones in the hospital. But the media will try telling you that it's the unvaccinated. Look at the records. Look it up. You can't trust Vayer's report anyway. You can't trust any of the data that comes out of these places anyway. It's all skewed. It's like one person gets COVID five times and it's five different cases when it's really one person. I mean, they skew all the numbers. They do everything that they can do to continue to push this narrative. Anybody who continues to think that this is about health at this point of the game, you've lost your mind. You've lost your way. I'm sorry. But you need to go back and look at the fact that, that all of us called this out two years ago. We said this was going to be a tool used for control. We said this was going to be a tool used for government overreach for manipulation purposes. And that's exactly how it's playing out. There is a new world order that's trying to be established and released all across the globe. And people are sitting there denying it, calling everybody around them conspiracy theorists. Right. We said, we said that it was eventually going to get to the point to where they were going to require people to show proof of vaccinations. Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist, Pastor. Why would you say that? Well, here we are. We're always going to have mask mandates now that all this stuff passed and all of you went along with it. Oh, that's insane. We just got to get past a few months of this, uh, of this virus. And once we do, all these mask mandates will fall. We won't have to wear them anymore. Well, here we are. Two years later, still having mask mandates issued. It's all about control. It's all about power. Everything that we experience right now is not about today. It's about who controls tomorrow. This is a spiritual battle that we're fighting right now. And if our faith does not release us to a greater awareness and a greater level of discernment, then we're going to miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to each and every one of us right now. We've got to see what God is releasing to his people right now and the faith that we need to operate in. Like Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 4 says, now if we, I'm sorry, now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Now, there's a lot of people who still live under the law. They say they're Christians. They say they're believers. They say it's a New Testament church, but they still live under the law. 
There are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. So this is talking about the Old Testament priests who would always slay the animals as a sacrifice to God and shed the blood. They were a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. It goes on to say, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, he says, foresee that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So the priests in the tabernacle in the New Testament were a type and shadow of things to come. Now look at Hebrews 10.1. It says, for the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. I, I know that I know that when a lot of people open the Bible, it can be foreign to them. And, and even when churches hold Bible studies and, and opportunities for people to grow in the word outside of corporate worship, those opportunities are only moderately attended at best. And, and, and people get saved and they turn to Leviticus because they heard the preacher say, you got to start reading your Bible. So they open it up to Leviticus. Leviticus and it makes no sense to them and they're freaking out and they see all of this stuff on there and they're looking at their tattooed arms and they're like, oh my God, I'm condemned. I'm going to hell. I, you know, I, I can't have a relationship with God. And then they, they turn to first and second Kings and they see names and dates and dates and names, or they get into the new Testament and start hearing stories about fishing and agriculture. And they can be like, this is boring. Why would I want to read this book? But the fact is your Bible's divided into two parts, old Testament and new Testament. The word testament means covenant. God has two covenants. He made two covenants in the earth, and there's never going to be another. There was an old covenant and a new covenant. We live in the new one. Jesus inaugurated, initiated, and perfected this new one. There's nothing left to be done. It is finished, Jesus said. He said, it is finished. It's done. So we live in the new covenant. And everybody in the old one longed for what we get to enjoy in our corporate worship. Every time, you know, a priest offered a sacrifice, they longed for the day we lived in. Every, every time someone in the, in the, worshiped in the temple, they longed for the ability to go to church like we do. It's amazing to me that people two years, two years into this, this, this virus situation, this political control situation, rather, this pandemic, it's amazing that there's still people who, did, who, who aren't attending church and they're still watching from their pajamas, eating their lucky charms on a Sunday morning, and they still show up to service 30 minutes late. <laughs> but they'll, they'll tune into Facebook or they'll log into the website or they'll pull up the app and, and they're sitting there, you know, sipping their milk out of a bowl while they're watching um, um, service. And a lot of people, that's kind of where they're at spiritually. They're still sipping the milk out of the bowl, but they've been saved for 20 years. But they use an excuse. They allow the culture to dictate their journey with God. So prior to the pandemic, they were, they were attending service. Everything's going well. All of a sudden, fear creeps into their heart. And all of a sudden, the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy now has control over their mind and their activity, and they no longer attend, attend service anymore. It's a sad state of affair. If I hope that's not you who are listening to this. And if you are listening to this and that's you, I implore you and encourage you to get back into the house of God. Because these, these people longed for the lamb that would be slain from the foundations of the earth. And in him, he would rescue all of humanity. That was Jesus Christ. But until then, they had a law that God uh, had given them that they had to live by. And keeping that law was impossible. God initiated a covenant with Abraham and out of Abraham came a nation called Israel and Israel had 12 tribes and God made a covenant with them. 
Because when he got them out of 450 years of slavery, understand they had no judicial system, no moral code. They had no understanding of right and wrong, nothing to live by. Imagine that. No church to go to. No commandments posted on the wall. They had nothing. God had to teach them from the ground up. So he gave them 10 commandments. And listen to this. 615 regulations. Now, the New Testament calls it the curse of the law. Well, what's the curse of the law? The curse is it's impossible to keep. The curse of the law is the fact that you get up every day and try to be good enough for God because sin demanded a sacrifice. So God put in an animal sacrifice, the blood of pigeons and goats and doves and bulls and lambs and sheep, right? God put in a sacrificial shedding of blood to remove sin. He put in a tabernacle. He set up a priesthood. The high priest would shed the blood. He would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and spread the blood for the sins of a nation. And for one more year, God's wrath would be held back and people would be spared. Why? Because sin demanded judgment, right? And blood was the only thing that would be shed for sin. So God set that law in motion and it could not be broken. Well, the Bible prophesied that there would come this lamb, that would be slain and he would be the last lamb. And after him, there would be no other lamb. And he would be a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb. His name was Jesus. The prophets foretold about his coming and that when he showed up, he would bring a kingdom with him and the government would be upon his shoulders and upon its increase, there would be no end. We're not fighting the United States government right now. You're not fighting your governors. You're not fighting local municipalities and city councils. You are fighting a spirit that seeks to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, that seeks to exalt itself and sit itself higher than the kingdom of God. The Bible talks about this kingdom who, whose kingdom and maker is God. And the Bible says that this kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. But here's the thing. The kingdom is where? It's in you. In other words, if we ever get it, it will never fail you. It will sustain you. It will empower you. It will strengthen you. So what you've got to understand is that God had to have a standard. And I know in this culture, standards and, and protocols and, and, and morality and absolute truths, uh, you know, the culture tells you those things should not exist. Because if you have standards, they're going to label you. You're a bigot. You're homophobic. You're racist. You're this. You're that. You're, you know, you're, 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 you're uh, unproductive and, and you don't know how to engage this culture. You're so disconnected because of what you believe. You have to have righteous standards as a believer. The church across the globe would look so different if the people of God used the word of God to help dictate and encourage the standards that they have in righteousness. So understand, people had to get up every day with 10 commandments, 615 regulations, and couldn't break any of them. Sounds kind of like 2021, doesn't it? <laughs> 615 regulations. It seems like every day you wake up, you've got brand new regulations coming down from somebody who's power hungry. The Bible says that the law was spiritual and, and, and it was God's standard, but we were unspiritual. So in other words, I who am sinful are trying to keep the standard of something spiritual, but don't have any ability to do it. It's a curse because every day I wake up trying to perform good enough to keep something that I never can keep. See, this is why we've got to break the spirit of religion. Religion in definition means conforming to an outer code of conduct. That's why somebody can't be in an atmosphere with lights and modern staging. And they look at it and say, well, surely this can't be a church. Surely God can't move in this place because they've got lighting. They have, they have haze. They've got uh, modern staging. God won't move in this kind of atmosphere. 
No, God can't move in you because you're so stuck in religion, you wouldn't know a move of God if it hit you in the face. But see, now the Bible says Jesus shows up and he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. You know, I'm about to bust up some religion right here listening to this podcast. I, I, you know, I want you to think kingdom, not religion or even church, organized church. I want you to think kingdom. Understand Jesus only mentioned church twice because the word church means called out assembly. And there's a lot of things that could be called out, called a church rather. Caesar had a meeting. Every year in Rome, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, you go, go back and, and research this and look at this. Caesar had a meeting every year in Rome of all the governors that, that he would call together. And guess what he called it? He called it church. And there's a lot of people who are, quote, called out to do a lot of things. But there's only one kingdom. And you can't even number how many times Jesus talks about the kingdom. So we understand, right, that Jesus showed up and said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And he said, all those standards that you can't keep, I'm going to meet every single one of them. And if you put your faith in me, all you have to do is accept me and my sacrifice by faith, and you have met all of God's standards. You meeting God's standards has nothing to do with conduct, and it has nothing to do with behavior. You are not more spiritual because you wear a suit to church and somebody else wears jeans and a t-shirt. You are not more spiritual than somebody else because you've got a crew cut and your hair is parted to the left or to the right than the person who comes in with long hair and a scraggly beard. It has to do with what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary, regardless of what you look like. I love how people take scripture out of context and they're like, come as you are. We don't care if you wear shorts or slippers or flip-flops or whether you dress up in a three-piece suit. The Bible says, come as you are. That has nothing to do with, with how you dress. It has everything to do with your spiritual contentment and your spiritual condition and, 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 and the, where you are, if you even have a journey of faith or not. It has to do with what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you can come as you are. You can, even if you don't know Jesus, come as you are. You may need to repent of some conduct, but your salvation does not come because you are good or bad or behave good or behave poorly because you're saved when you behave well, you're saved when you behave badly. You cannot lose your salvation because you cheated on a test or you took somebody's lunch out of the refrigerator at work or because you, you didn't stop at that stop sign and you know know you should have. And now you're saying, well, I did something that grieved the heart of God. I must not be saved anymore. You can, you know, that's not how this thing works. The Bible says you are inscribed on the palm of his hand. And the day you got saved, God got a brand new tattoo with your name on it. And you are saved past, you are saved present, and you are saved future. Not on your works, it's on his works. If it was on your works, it would be all about religion. It would all be all about the 10 commandments and 615 regulations and rules. And I'm not saved, I'm saved rather not because I do a good job, but because Jesus did a good job and he met all of the commandments. He met all of the traditions. He met all of the 615 laws. He fulfilled it all. And now all I've got to do is put my faith in him and I stand perfected before an almighty God. Listen, you can post the Ten Commandments in your house or on a sign in your front yard. You can throw them up on Facebook. You can be mad that that. Uh, you know, courts have taken them out of the courtrooms and you can be upset that, that, that schools don't have the 10 commandments posted anymore. But listen, and I know this is going to bust up some religiosity, but that's what this podcast is for. We got to get out from under the, 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 the bondage of religion. We are no longer led by the 10 commandments. I know I'm stepping on somebody's toes, but Jesus fulfilled all of that. 
Well, pastor, people say you shouldn't do anything on Sunday because that's the Sabbath. No, Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. Jesus said, I can do anything I want to. I am the Sabbath. So the Ten Commandments were a moral code that God gave Israel in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in Jesus. And if you accept Jesus, the moral code of God has been pleased in Jesus Christ. So when you repent, repentance is not to ensure you don't go to hell. Repentance is to ensure that you get your mind right to have the kingdom in the earth. So the Bible says repent for the kingdom is is at hand, not repent so you don't go to hell. And there's so many people uh, in, in churches across this globe that are, are walking in a spirit of religion that, that think that the pain on the wall has something to do with their spiritual journey of faith. The lights on a stage and, and, and lights on a, on a platform and, and the modernization of buildings have anything to do with somebody's journey of faith. Let's be real. I just want it to look good. I want it to look modern. I want it to look like the current culture, uh, th- that we care about the current culture and that we're not a dated facility with, with, with mold underneath toilets from, that have been leaking and the floors rotting. You know, when I got here, I, I did a thorough walkthrough of the building and I found all of that stuff. And it made me look at the previous generation and say, y'all didn't even care about the investment, the financial investment that was made over 30 years ago into building this thing, that you're so disconnected from what's happening in the building because you're so stuck in a spirit of religion and conformity and making sure people are in and out in 45 minutes every single week that you wouldn't know a move of God if it showed up and slapped you across the face. You can't even tell that there's water leaking into the floor, rotting out the floor and creating mold. And we had to rip up the floors. We had to replace all the toilets. We had to replace drywall. And it was shocking to me that people could sit there and say to me that I didn't care about the legacy of, 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 of a ministry because I painted some walls. Well, let's talk about the physical structure. And I would take people around and show them, you're talking about paint, but look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And when you get the kingdom, you're going to see the enemy under your feet and you're going to see the stuff that's got you down today. You're going to be standing on it tomorrow. See, people may critique you. People may criticize you. People may do whatever they can do to try to get you to, to diminish and minimize the vision that God's given you for a specific thing. But you got to just pray and, and, and beseech heaven and say, God, bring your kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Now, Hebrews said that's the old, that the old is a copy. It's a type and shadow. And many people live inside of, of rules and regulations. They live inside of that, not understanding that it's a type and shadow, a copy, a type, a shadow. So these are not the real thing. They are the results of a real thing. You can't have a copy unless you first had an original. You can't have a shadow unless you have an object. So the Bible says the tabernacle, the priests, the Old Testament, those are all types, shadows, and copies pointing to what we live in today called the New Testament. Do you understand that everybody in all those pages of the Old Testament longed for what you experience in corporate worship today? They longed for a day they would not be burdened with a law that they couldn't keep. But it, it, it would all be summed up by putting your faith in a man named Jesus. They longed for this day. They prophesied about that day. And so you've got your types and your shadows. So I can get into, you know, when I'm standing on, on the stage, you know, I can get into the light. I can get into a specific place where the, where the light hits my, my left hand, right? And I can hold my left hand out. And I can see on the carpet and I can see on the, on, on the, on the podium. I can, I can put it in a place where I can see all five of my fingers. 
But several years ago, I, I went paintballing with my kids, with my boys, and my, 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 um, um, my daughters for my boy's birthday. And it was early spring, so there was still snow and mud uh, on the ground a little bit, and it was really slippery. But, you know, here I am in, in my, my 40s, acting like I'm in my early 20s. And within the first 15 to 20 seconds of the first round, I slipped. And when I landed, I landed as in such a way on my, my thumb on my left hand where I tore my UCL, ripped it off the bone, ended up having to have surgery on that. And I've got a very faint scar that, that I can really... I'm the only one that can really see it. It's very faint. You've got to look at it the right way to see it. Surgeon did a great job. Still feels a little funky and still got some tingling in there after two years, but I I hope one day it all goes back to normal, but I'm not so sure about it. I got to lay some hands and put some anointing oil on that thing and pray over that thing. But, um, you know, I've got a scar on my thumb and, and, and the shadow lets me see my five fingers, but the shadow does not show and reveal my scar. That's powerful. I'm going to say that again. The shadow lets me see my five fingers on my hand, but the shadow will not reveal my scar. In other words, the shadow shows me the broader picture, but it doesn't give me all the details. So when you open your Bible and read the Old Testament, it's not where you live, but it's pointing you to where you live. I'm helping you realize that this is how you have to read the word of God. Everything in your Bible is built around typologies. They are shadows of what is to come. For instance, Moses, who's a type of Christ, he walks into Egypt, a type of sin and bondage, and confronts Pharaoh, a type of Satan, and he crushes Pharaoh and delivers people out of their bondage and from their sin. And then they cross over the Red Sea, and and that represents water baptism. And when you come out from under Satan and you come out from under sin, we dunk you in the water and you come out a brand new person that's supposed to break the spirit of religion off of your life. And then they go into the wilderness for 40 years. The wilderness does not mean that God is trying to get you out of Egypt. The wilderness is when God is trying to get Egypt out of you. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of believers that are stuck in the spirit of religion and they cannot let it go. So they look at a move of God and they say that. That's craziness. That's madness. That's, that's nothing but emotionalism. It's nothing, it has nothing to do with the power of God. But let me tell you something. It's when you get saved and you're in church and God has redeemed you from sin, but he's still trying to get your mind out of the club. He's trying to get your mind out of the pew. He's trying to get your mind out of poverty. He's trying to get your mind out of sickness. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're, you're listening to this podcast and you still got your mind in your boyfriend or girlfriend's bedroom. God's trying to get your mind out of that. He's trying to get your dependence off of the government, come on somebody, and on his kingdom instead. And for Israel, it took 40 years. How long is it going to take you? Right now, the devil's trying to run people out of the church. And he's trying to use accountability to the word as a divisive tool because God meant biblical accountability to be used to bring his kingdom. Why do people run from his word? Because they don't have enough spiritual awareness to believe they can actually obey him. So that begs the question, how long do you want your circle of depression to remain active in your life? How long do you want to circle the way you were brought up? How long do you want to circle your victim mentality? How long do you want to circle your poverty mentality? How long do you want to circle your excuses? Because God will let you stay in the wilderness as long as your rebellious nature desires that. But the day you find a Joshua who says, in three days we're coming out, 
God will let you walk out of every single bit of it. I don't care if you're 70, 80, 90, or 100 years old. It doesn't matter what generation you're from. You've got to walk in the freedom of knowing that God does not have you locked up by 10 commandments and 615 regulations anymore. You now walk with the spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit within you, which brings about the convictions that you need to have to live a life of righteousness, to live a life, a life of absolute biblical truth. Listen, when you hear me preach, if you watch services online, which I encourage you to do so and, and, and be a part of this broader, broader conversation that we're having outside of the Shatterproof podcast. But when you hear me preach, I don't stand at the podium and give you a bunch of do's and don'ts. And, you know, people say, I don't want legalism. Legalism's bad. I don't want legalism. I don't want a religious preacher. But you know what? People really do. If I can be honest, you know why? Because as long as we have somebody standing on a stage telling people what to do and what not to do then those people don't have to be led. And in the New Testament, it's not rules and regulations. It's not do's and don'ts. It's be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's walk in the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit. It's no longer what the temple looks like externally. It's what the temple looks like internally. It's amazing to me when people stand there and don't even participate in praise and worship. That doesn't happen in this house anymore. God took all those people out. I remember when I took the, when I took the, the senior pastor mantle in 2017 and we began to bring in new worship leaders and we began to bring in a new style of, of, of praise and worship that was much more fitting for the, the, the spiritual culture that God put inside of me as a senior pastor. It was amazing how many people refused to participate. Not only would they, would, would some of them sit there with their arms folded showing their displeasure. Now you got to understand this is when there was, there was a, there was a dramatic change. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that attend our services now, but the church when I got here was dead and dying. It was aging out. There were people literally dying and that was how the numbers were being reduced uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the ministry. And it's amazing to look out there and see people sitting down with their arms folded and then you see people standing there with their arms crossed, looking at what's happening and looking at worship like it's some, it's some horrific display against God and that there be, you know, that they were completely displeased with all how, with how the worship was taking place and all that was happening. And you see the religious spirit all over their body externally. And it's revealing what's happening internally. See, they were stuck with what the temple looked like externally. They were stuck with what their preferred style of music was not understanding that everything God created he gave everything that he gave breath to and created was, was built within the fabric of its DNA to make a sound. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of disappointed people when they get to heaven and realize that the sound of worship is not what they thought it was. God doesn't really care about your personal preference and style of worship. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. He lives inside of the praises of his people. So it doesn't matter what kind of song it is, whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. What spirit are you singing it from? When you decree and declare those words, when you're reading them and singing them, are they coming from a place of, of deep, intimate faith and, and, and a spiritual awareness, or are they coming out of, of a religious spirit? So it's not my job, nor the job of any other pastor to put parameters on your life. It's not my job to give you your convictions. It's the job of the Holy Ghost inside of you to lead you into what's right and to lead you into what's wrong. And I want to develop people into a relationship with God, not put you under another curse. 
You know what that means? People in church who don't like me can't blame me for what happens in their spiritual journey. Growing up as a kid, this is why I I didn't want to go into ministry because I saw so many people like run out the back door and blame my parents who pastored at this church for 27 years. And they would blame my parents for every single little thing that happened in their life. Well, I'm not getting fed at that church. And well, that's because you're used to drinking milk. So when you transition from milk to meat, you can't handle it. Because a lot of people don't know what to do with the move of God. It freaks them out. They don't know what to do when, when miracles and signs and wonders are happening and people are being healed. They don't understand what it means to actually have a lifestyle of worship and a lifestyle of praise outside of the four walls of a local church. So religion has grabbed the hold of them. And we've got pe- preachers in, in, in pulpits keeping people under a curse because they're telling them what to do and what not to do every single week. Listen, the Holy Ghost is my teacher. Read the word. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and I don't have to perform anymore. The Bible says we labor to enter our rest. You know what the Bible says? That the hardest work will be resting. The greatest labor that we will face as a Christian is to rest in the fact uh, that Christ already did it, and we don't have to. You know that's the hardest thing to get into? Especially in 2021, just to rest in Jesus. Because you're being bombarded right now all over the nation throughout the world with do this and do that and don't do that and do this. If you don't do this, the government's going to do this. And if you don't do that, the government's going to do that. And I don't know if I can, you know, keep coming to church anymore because all of these people in the same room and they don't have masks on and they're not socially distanced and, and you're all stressed out over what the enemy is using to cause fear to rise in the midst of an awakening that God started on the earth. Because you put more faith in Dr. Fauci than you do in what God gave you as as for an immune system. You put more faith in Dr. Fauci than you do in the word of God. You put more faith in your governor and your local municipalities than you do in the word of God. Listen, you don't have to perform. Jesus already did that. The Bible said his performance pleased God. I've heard preachers talk about how bad it hurt God when Jesus was crucified. Read your Bible. The word says, for it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And I know that busts up religiosity and religious spirits because everybody, you know, there's a certain generation that just cries at the, at, at the crucifixion of Jesus every resurrection season. They cry and they, you know, they're, they're, they're so upset that Jesus died and there's people that would just stare at the crucifixion and Jesus sitting on the cross and they just cry. Well, my Bible says and your Bible says that, 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 that uh, it pleased God to bruise him. But not not because God is pleased by heartache or pain, but because God knew at the other end, you would be pulled out of performance mode. You were going to be pulled out of a religious spirit. And now you can, as the Bible says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to carry the burden of religion anymore. You don't have to carry the burden of, of, of 10 commandments or 615 rules and regulations. The Bible says you've been set free from that because Jesus fulfilled all of that. It's not the pain on the wall. It's not the lights in a building. It's not the modern stage design. It doesn't matter what the inside or the outside of a building looks like. That has nothing to do with the move of God happening in your life. It's what you are developing within your personal relationship with Jesus and what you are allowing yourself to be freed to or what you are allowing yourself to be bound to. It doesn't matter if you've got pews or chairs. It doesn't matter if your walls are white or pink. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they are burgundy, yellow, or green. It may look outdated, but it doesn't change the moving of the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you can't get past the external religion 
that is holding you bound and you look at everything within a local house of worship and you judge it, then really what you're doing is you're showing and proving how condemning you are to the move of the Holy Spirit and you're bound by religion. And it's time for us in this culture to break the spirit of religion so that we can begin to move into the power and the anointing and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a way that equips and changes this generation for the greatest move of God. Listen, folks, we are on the brink. We are on the threshold of the greatest move of God our generation has ever seen on the face of this earth. How do I know? Because we're fighting. We're fighting for tomorrow. We're fighting principalities and powers. Not not only is it coming against the local church from people that attend local church, but it's coming from government. It's coming from voices on, on, on the media. It's coming from places, you know, all throughout culture that are trying to tear down what God is trying to establish and build up right now in this moment. The time is right now for the church, for the people of God to stand, to take its rightful place and to begin to move with all power and all authority to change this culture. We've got to stop fighting and looking at what the external situations are. Stop looking at the color of the, the walls and the carpet and whether there's lights or not. Get free from that bondage. Get out from underneath the rules and the regulations of what religion binds you to and keeps you from keeps you bound to and be free by the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding that Jesus has already fulfilled the law. He's already fulfilled the regulations. He's already done that work and you are free with all power and all authority to be used by the Holy Spirit to go and change this culture and begin to release the power of God in you to see heaven move in the earth. You and I are the vessels that God has called to be released into the earth. The time is right now. It's time to break that spirit of religion. It's time to break that spirit of bondage and be free to operate under the power and the, and, and the discernment and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit will be released into your life and will change your tomorrow. The fight is over tomorrow. The fight is not over today. The fight is over who holds tomorrow. Listen, I love you. God is doing great things in your life. I know he is. I believe that we have got to grab hold of the reins right now. We've got to go after everything that God is calling us to. We've got to occupy until he comes. We've got to release the power of God into this culture. It's up to you. What are you doing to change the people around you? What are you doing to show them the love of Jesus? What are you doing to change the culture and impact the generations of tomorrow? I love you. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to ignitechurchvt.com. You can download our app on the app store, Ignite Church VT. You can sow into this podcast and we thank you so much for your support and all that you do to keep this podcast moving forward i love you i can't wait to connect with you on another episode of shatterproof share this podcast share these episodes and let's continue to do all that we can to impact the kingdom uh, in the earth for god's glory i love you i'll see you on another episode of shatterproof